Well, I want to say thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure and an honor to be here. And um, we uh, met our, for our first time, met your family in Texas, right? San Antonio, Texas. It's kind of one of those funny things. Um, we didn't meet in Illinois where my wife is, uh, was born. And, well, I don't know where exactly she was born now that I think about it, but she was raised in Pekin and those areas there. And so we're not too awful far away, but uh, we ended up meeting in San Antonio, Texas. And from there, we hit it off and have been good friends. And um, I've been watching the, the church on YouTube for some time. And it's just a blessing to be able to stand here and bring a message to you. So thank you so much for supporting your pastor. And uh, as he's uh, sought to teach what the Bible has to say about end times and Israel and all of these things. And I hope you'll continue to just support him. You have a great man of God here. Let's look down at verse number 25. The Bible says in verse number 25, See that, that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven." I'd like you to hold your place there and turn over to Joel chapter number 2. And I'm going to be preaching a sermon tonight called The Great and Terrible Day of the Lord. And when we think about the Lord's coming, it is a great, great blessing to us. It's an encouragement to our hearts to know that the Lord is coming again. But this is going to be a spectacular event, the likes of which has never been seen before. And in this chapter of Hebrews, we find that this is an amazing event that is, is somewhat depicted in a smaller version back in Exodus chapter 19. I'd like to go through and tie some things together here for you and do a Bible study here tonight. But let's take a look in Joel chapter 2, verse number 30. The Bible says in verse number 30, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. When the Lord comes back, it's our redemption draweth nigh. It's the greatest day that it's going to be. I mean, it's the resurrection of all those who died in Christ and the rapture of all those who are alive. And I hope I make it through. Wouldn't that be a great thing to be able to go all the way through the tribulation period and to make it to the other side? All of our friends and, you know, uh, godly friends, you know, getting their heads, you know, taken off and so on. But we make it through all the way to the other side and we go up into the clouds. Either way, it's going to be great on that great resurrection day. But for others, this is going to be a terrible day. And this is going to be a day when people's hearts are fainting, when people are crying out to the rocks and the mountains like, fall on us. This is the time of the wrath of the Lamb. So the author of Hebrews uses the picture of God descending on Sinai to describe the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we're going to explore this a bit in the sermon. But let me first talk about uh, number one, the importance of replacement theology in the end times. And often um, when I, I, I recently listened to uh, your pastor's sermon on uh, the hypocrisy of those who um, reject replacement theology. And it's, it's so true. I, of course, grew up in that hypocrisy and didn't understand it. and didn't, It took me a long time to figure it out. Uh, and it was a good sermon. And I personally figured out this idea of replacement theology before... I figured out the post-trib rapture. But when I was talking to my father about this, because I brought it to him and I was like, hey, what about this verse in Galatians 3? What about this verse? And I brought different verses to him about it when I was the assistant pastor at the time. And I remember him saying, son, you better watch out. 
You know, if you mess up the, the, this Jew thing, you're going to get mixed up on that, you know, in, in pro- Bible prophecy too. The end times. Little did I know that I was already mixed up on the Jews and the, you know, I was getting the Jew thing straightened out. And it, little did I know that it was only a matter of time before I'd get the prophecy stuff figured out. And uh, there's, uh, you know, still a lot for me to learn, but um, I think I got the gist of it now. It turns out he was right. So, and uh, but I got it straightened out. He's not still not come around on that issue, and uh, that's just something between us. But I, I still love my dad, and he um, had a preach the other day. He's uh, there's a lot. A lot of these old preachers have good things to say on uh, soul winning and uh, keeping a good personal testimony. So don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater if they don't agree with you on every little detail there. But uh, anyway, let's let's go with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. And I want to show you some things here because this particular chapter ties it together in such a way. And I just want to point this out because it is an important issue. It's not just like, oh, it's just, you know, you're, you're against the Jews. The Jews in the end times, it, this goes together uh, hand in glove. In verse 28, the Bible says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And uh, let's see here. Notice that phrase there in the first part of it. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. What is this? Turn over to Matthew chapter 21. What is the kingdom that cannot be moved? Well, of course, we understand that the Old Testament was there and God, of course, uh, established it. He put the law in place and... Uh, it was going to fail. Why? Because men are sinners. We are, and it wasn't the, the law that failed, it was man. The Bible teaches this clearly in the book of Hebrews and uh, chapter 8 and Jeremiah and different places, but they're very clear. But notice this in he- Matthew chapter number 21, Jesus, verse number 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So the earthly kingdom of the Jews was taken from them and replaced, obviously, with a spiritual nation of, of all believers in Jesus Christ. And so often people misunderstand what we teach. About this, and I think sometimes, as we heard in a sermon recently, it's on purpose, isn't it, brother? They do it on purpose because they don't like what we're saying, so they have to build that straw man. But people will say, "Well, you, you're replacement theologists. You believe Christians are replacing the Jews, or uh, Jews are uh, Gentiles are replacing the Jews, and all of this type of thing." But I would just say it this way: you know, it's not that Christians replace the Jews; it's just that Christians are the Jews. It's just a continuation. It's a, you know. Uh, Jesus was the further revelation of, of God. We understood that, you know, the God of the Old Testament, we understand now that it's a trinity. It's Jesus Christ. It's, it's the further revelation. Those who worshipped God in spirit and truth in the Old Testament, they're the ones who worship in Jesus and believing on Jesus. And when they rejected, people rejected Jesus, they rejected God and His kingdom. And that's the, they've, they've stumbled at the stumbling stone and it's broken them to powder, the Bible says. So, so those who believe in Jesus today are just that simply that continuation. And of course, when we see in Romans chapter 2, verse 28, uh, and again, a lot of this for me, had to, I just had to unwind all of these lies and things that had spun up in my mind over the years from the different preaching. But the Bible is so clear. What does it say in Romans chapter 2, verse 28? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. 
I mean, isn't that very clear? Someone who has the, the hair that's coming down here, and they're, you know, doing this, and they've got the hat, and all of this type of thing. That's the outward, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And that's the Christian. The, and the circumcision, which is, is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And so, if you'll go back to Hebrews chapter 12... We're going to see two mountains here. We're going to see Mount Sinai and we're going to see Mount Zion. And the Bible very clearly says that to these believers here, these Hebrew believers in Hebrews chapter 12, that we are not come to Mount Sinai. And all of that that represents and that pictures in this story, we're not come to that. We're come to Mount Zion. And this is such an important thing for us to understand. Look at verse number 18. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. Now notice these things. Keep these, all of these things in mind because this is going to be very important for us to draw on later in the sermon as we look at the second coming of Christ. And the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Don't speak. We can't hear it. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. So this was a, a great and terrible day of the Lord, wasn't it? When the, the smoke on the mountain and there's fire and the, the law is being given, it's about to be given in just a few more verses here. What a terrible day uh, that, that was. And so Mount Sinai re- represents what? The old covenant, the old law and these things. And what was it that, you know, this was where the children of Israel gathered. And as Moses went up to receive the law, it, God gave him a show. I mean, this was something that they would never forget. Turn back to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter number 19. And I'm not going to go through the whole chapter yet. But we're going to look at the first few verses here. Uh, well, actually, starting in Exodus 19, verse number 5. And I want you to notice this. Before, you know, if, you'll, if you're into the, you know, the, the Zionist crowd and the dispensationalist crowd, they'll often talk about the unconditional uh, covenant, the unconditional promises that God gave. And I'm not sure exactly where those are, um, you know, but if you look at the ones, the Abrahamic covenant, the promises to the land, it's unconditional. But you know what? People that, that don't believe in Jesus aren't going to occupy it. So it's the true spiritual Jews that are going to occupy that land. We're going to rule and reign with Christ and be with him in that land. But in Exodus chapter 19, we find a very clear condition and this, these are the laws that God's about to give that is going to be the basis upon which their country, this, this, this just group of families that's going to come together and make a nation, these are the, this is going to be the law that, that is the basis of their country. And he says in Exodus chapter 19, verse number 5, he says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then shall, ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak to the children of Israel. And Moses came and called all the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And the, all, all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. 
Now, so after he received the answer from the people, they're like, hey, we're going to do this. We, we want this. And he said he makes a spectacular show. Verse number nine. He, this is what he does. I mean, this is something they'll never forget. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. So now just keep these things in mind that we're looking at here because when the Lord comes back, he's coming in the clouds. And, you know, what was the idea here? Will you receive him and you believe you're part of it? If you don't believe and receive, you're not a part of it. And uh, that's what he tells us later on in Hebrews chapter 12. We'll get to that in just a moment. So he made a show on that mountain that, he, that, that they would believe. They put the fear of God in them. And he command, his commandments and judgments that he was about to give, they were no joke. It was a serious business. He meant business. And the reason he brings up Sinai in this passage in Hebrews is, and he compares it to Zion is that Sinai represented the old covenant and the, where the law was given. And it represents the Jews today, by the way, who claim the law, who claim to be under the law, who claim that this is still the Old Testament, the old covenant. We're still waiting for that Messiah to come. That's what it represents. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And we find this, this idea of Sinai mentioned here uh, again in Galatians chapter 4. <clears throat> this is one of those passages that people they, you know, that, that don't agree with us on this issue, they can't touch. They don't like Galatians 3 and they don't like Galatians 4. They just cannot even get anywhere near these. Um, it's a very difficult one for them. Let's just go with what the Bible says and just read it. That's how I feel about it. And so Galatians chapter 4 verse 21. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid uh, and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory for these are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which in, in Arabia there, which gendereth to what? Bondage, which is Agar. So Hagar, this illegitimate, and the Ishmael, and the illegitimate son of Abraham, uh, that's the, what the Bible says, allegorically speaking. It's a picture of the Jews today without Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we see. And so what does Sinai represent? Bondage. What does it represent? People who are in bondage. But notice what it says here uh, in verse number 25. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to where? To Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Today, people who are really all about the Jews coming back to the land. And that's what their entire end times prophecy is all about. Is coming, the Jews coming back to Jerusalem and uh, occupying the land around Jerusalem there and Judea and all of that. They'll often talk about, you know, they'll talk about this great thing that's happening and so on. But what the Bible says is this Jerusalem answereth to bondage. It's answering to, it's, it, they are spiritually Ishmael. Now turn, with, uh, hold your place there because we're going to go right back there. But go, uh, turn back to Hebrews chapter 12 and take a look here at verse number 22. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22. But ye are come to Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, and heavenly Jerusalem, 
and to an innumerable company of angels. Now, we just found out that in Galatians chapter 4, he's telling us that, you know, earthly Zion, because that's what they call them, the people who are all about the Jews coming back to the land and all of that. They're Zionists, right? Well, the Bible says they are in bondage with their children, that Jerusalem is. The Bible says we as Christians, we are Zionists, right? Because we have come to Mount Zion. We're not to, we're not to Arabia. We're not over there in, at Sinai in that way. No, we are at Mount Sinai. And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So what is it saying here? Earthly Jerusalem is not consequential to us as far as we're concerned. We don't need earthly Jerusalem. And it'll have some place in end times prophecy. But for us, it's not. that's not something that we're looking forward to. We're not looking forward to them uh, taking over. You know, all my life I've heard, man, did you hear they're taking over more settlements in the West Bank and all this type of thing. All my life it's just this, the Jews are coming home from all over the world. It's the greatest thing ever. No, that's not it. Look, what's great is that one day the Lord's going to come back and we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to heavenly Zion. The new Jerusalem. So here we go. What it says here. To an innumerable, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to spirits of just men made perfect. So this is the people of the citizens of Jerusalem or saved people. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling which speaketh better things than Abel. We'll come back to that phrase a little bit later in the sermon. Hold your, you, I had you hold your place in, there, in Galatians. So let's look back at Galatians chapter 4. We'll continue on there. We're uh, going back and forth with Sinai and Sinai here in Hebrews 12. Now we're going to look at Zion. Notice what it says in Jerusalem, or Galatians chapter 4 verse 26. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. And he just says in verse 25 that, that this, the Jerusalem down here is in bondage with her children. But he says this, he says, The Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. For as it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, and break forth and cry that, uh, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Verse number 28 now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he was born after the flesh, persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, are we not children of the bondwoman, but of the free? You see, the Bible talks about this. You know, the Jews like to talk about the genealogies and the, all of this type of thing and how they're God's chosen people. But the thing they're missing is, is that, you know, Abraham's descendants. The Bible has, you know, guess what? Not all of Abraham's descendants were chosen. There were two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Which one was chosen? Isaac was. Jesus came through that. And then, of course, there were two again. You had Jacob and Esau. Which one was chosen? The Bible tells us who was chosen. Jacob became, uh, you know, the Bible talks about him changing his name and then having 12 sons. And then those became the 12 sons of Israel there and the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it boils down even further, doesn't it? Because Jesus came through Judah and through David and so on. And you know what? 
the genealogies in the New Testament are of Jesus Christ. And that's and then later on, the Bible says, don't even worry about genealogies. It tells us to avoid them in multiple places. And so this is this is what we're talking about. Listen, that's what this is why this is so important is that this and this is connected to this idea, this idea of replacement theology in this chapter is connected to the great terrible day of the Lord because what everybody's doing today is trying to take the end times and make it all about the Jews. But here's the thing, when the Lord comes back, the Bible says clearly that you're not going to be able to refuse him that speaketh and to be able to go into heaven. I mean, that's just very clear. We're going to see this clearly here in just a moment. So what's this connection? Well, we see here in Hebrews 12 that it shows a parallel between that coming down on the mountaintop and his second coming. And so let's look back at uh, Exodus chapter 19 real quick. And I want to show you a few things here. And we'll go back to Hebrews 12 next if you want to flip back and forth here. But the Bible says here when he gave the law, he says in uh, Exodus 19 verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now, of course, these, this passage here is wholesale repeated in the New Testament about Christians. I mean, just go read Ephesians chapter 2 and First uh, Peter chapter 2 in these places. It's just, this is clearly talking about Christians in the New Testament. We are the extension of that. And the kingdom was taken from those who didn't listen to the voice. In Hebrews 12, 26, he says this, This voice, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. So when the Lord came down on the mountain, it shook the earth. There was an earthquake and the earth trembled. But when the Lord comes back, there's going, the heavens are going to be shaken. And where do we hear that? Where have we heard that before, right? And so that's, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. Now let's look down at verse number 11. Verse number 11, uh, we're in Exodus 19, so uh, I know I have you flipping back between those. But Exodus 19, verse 11, we're going to walk through this, make mention of a few things. Look at verse number 11. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai, and thou shalt set uh, bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourself that ye go not up to the mountain or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not be a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. That's interesting, isn't it? And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, be ready against the third day, come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood as at the nether part of the mount. And the Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. 
And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses unto the top of the mount. And Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down and charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou charged us, saying, Set bounds upon the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away get thee down, and thou shalt come come up, thou and Aaron with thee, but let not the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people and spake unto them. And I'm just going to say, can you imagine that this moment in time being there at the foot of this mountain and seeing all of this that was going on? And I mean, of course, you'd want to see more, but I mean, it's terrifying. And, you know, he's, he's made it to where if they come and they touch, they die. He doesn't want them to do that. But can you imagine? But I want to tell you this. When the Lord comes back, it's going to be even more stunning than this. But this is a, this is a small picture of what's going to happen when the Lord comes back. I can just imagine being at the foot of that mountain. And I hope maybe, just maybe, I'll be able to see it in action. Back in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to make some parallels here. and you know, They're pretty obvious as you're looking through there. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18... Notice what the, uh, the Bible describes this scene in the New Testament here as he's talking about the Old Testament account there in Exodus chapter 19. Look at verse number 18, Hebrews 12:18. For ye are not come to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it, sh- it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. If you look down at um, <clears throat> verse number 12, you know, you'll see that, the, remember, God says he's going to shake the earth uh, once again. Look down at verse number 25. There it is. Uh, See, notice this. See that ye refuse, verse number 25, not him that speaketh, for if they escaped, not who refused him that spake on the earth, how much, uh, how, or much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? So this event that I believe he's saying, this event that's coming up in our future is going to be an event to see. It's going to be an event to behold. Whose voice then shook the earth, then shook the earth, but now hath he promised, saying, Yet once more will I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. Jesus is going to speak again. I mean, and it's going to be something to see. And he's going to come again, and it's going to be, you know, a sight to behold. Now, in Exodus 19.9, the Bible says, The Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a cloud. So, what do we find in Exodus 19? We see that, that... he came down in a cloud. I mean, there's cloud on the top of the mountain and all of this type of thing. So Jesus, when he shakes the earth again, I believe he's coming in the clouds. The Bible tells us over and over again. Well, what event could this possibly be? 
Uh, lots of people, you know, the dispensationalist crowd like to dis, uh, distinguish between the day of the Lord and the second coming and the rapture and all this type of stuff. But listen, it is this is all the same thing. The second coming, the day of the Lord, the Lord's going to come back. It's for us as He's going to take us out. And he's, this is the day of the Lord as the judgment element upon this earth. And for us, again, it's going to be redemption drawing nigh for us. But it, for them, it's going to be a great and terrible day for them when he shakes the earth once more I mean uh, Moses trembled and all the earth is going to tremble 1 Thessalonians 4 you, you can turn uh, over to, let's see yeah I'll just read this one to you I've got 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says for the Lord himself shall descend with uh, from heaven with a shout with a shout we'll look down at Hebrews 21 verse 19 and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice they had heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. So his voice is going to shake the earth. You know, the Lord's going to descend with a shout. In verse number 16, we also see that he's going to uh, come, First uh, Thessalonians 4.16, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And what does it tell us? Uh, that it, is that he's going to come in the he, he's going to come with the trump. We hear the trumpets uh, going and blaring at that mount uh, Sinai. There, when the Lord comes back, there's going to be trumpet the trump of God sounding. In verse number uh, sixteen, he tells us that he's going to come in the clouds. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud upon the mountain and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. If you uh, want to look there at First Thessalonians chapter 4, flip back and forth. The Bible says in verse number 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there are some differences, obviously, with the, this, this Old Testament you know, coming of the Lord on the top of the mountain. They couldn't touch it. But hey, we're come to Mount. We're not come to Mount Sinai anymore, Amen. We're come to Mount Zion, and we could touch the mountain, and we're going up in the air in the cloud with Him. And that's a great thing. What a blessing to meet the Lord in the air. Acts chapter one, if you remember that account, in Acts chapter one, Jesus descends. How does He descend? In the clouds. And the Bible tells us these, you know, as they're standing there looking steadfastly into heaven, just amazed at Jesus, His ascension. The angels, the men of Galilee, he says these men in white apparel say unto them, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come, so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now, I believe it's without question, without question, the Lord coming in the clouds is the rapture. Where is the secret rapture in the Bible? No, when the Lord comes, every eye is going to see him. It's going to be the great and terrible day of the Lord. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, He cometh with clouds. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him. So every eye is going to see Him. And the, those who pierced Him and all kindred of the earth shall wail because of Him. The great and terrible day of the Lord. When the Lord speaks... Again, when he speaks, this voice is going to shake the earth. He's not going to shake only the earth, but the heavens also. He says again, I'll read this verse again. He says in Hebrews twelve twenty six, the voice that shook the earth, but now hath he promised, saying, yet once more I shall shake not the earth only, but also heaven. Have you turned, let me have you turn over to um, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. 
And while you're turning there, let me read to you from Haggai chapter 2, verse number 6. The Bible says about this day, that, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. When is this going to take place? It's going to take place at the gathering of the elect. It's going to take place at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So this was a local, isolated event in the Old Testament, in Exodus 19, right over the top of Sinai. But this event, when the Lord comes again, every eye is going to see Him coming. And the whole earth is, I mean, it's going to be, the sun and moon are darkened. It's going to be, it's going to be clouds. It's going to be lightning. I believe it's going to have a lot of things to it uh, that, that's going to just be scary to people. But for us, we are going to be knowing, uh, turn to Revelation chapter 6. I believe it's going to be a day when we say, man, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. I mean, man, we didn't get to stand there with Moses. We didn't get to stand nearby when this was happening there at Sinai. But we're getting to see the Lord come back. And this is, this, is the, this is the deal here. This is awesome. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. Revelation 6, 12. The Bible says, And I beheld it when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. Well, that's what happens when his voice speaks, isn't it? And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. Even as a fig casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. So there's your heavens also. Remember the Bible tells us that the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Matthew 24. When Jesus comes again, He's going to shake not only the earth. I mean, it's going to shake. But the heavens also. This is going to be amazing. It was going to be dark. It was going to be a sight to behold. The sun and moon are dark. And turn to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Look down at verse number 2. The Bible says, A day of darkness and gloominess. I'll give you a chance to get there. I see here the page is turning. Sorry if I'm going too fast there. I've got them printed out, so i got the advantage on you there. So, um, I've got my little travel Bible, and uh, I've got to hold it up like this to, to see it. So, I've got them printed off in like 12-point font here. Uh, Joel 2, 2 says, A day of darkness and of gloominess and a day of clouds and of thick darkness and the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and strong, there hath not been ever like the like, neither shall there be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. I was thinking about that, those words, dark, a day of darkness and gloominess. And we're going to go later on in the chapter and see how this is tied into the day of the Lord. This is, clearly is. But um, I think about this, and I was thinking about that song. I love, how many of you love When the Roll is Called Up Yonder? Is that a great song? Amen. But, um, you know, that second verse is just a little off, isn't it? And I'm thinking maybe we should change it to on that dark and gloomy morning, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, something like that. Maybe dark and cloudy morning. Uh, fit, fit in there. But look down at verse number 30. Verse number 30. 
Verse number 30. And I, sh- I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord is come. So just before the Lord comes back and gathers us up, I mean, isn't this exactly what's taught in Matthew 24? And of course, the parallel passages in Luke and Mark. But isn't this what's taught in Revelation chapter 6? It's so clear, abundantly clear, that this is the day of the Lord. The rapture, the second coming, all of this is tied in together. The Lord comes, and when the Lord comes... He is going to bring judgment on those who have not believed and who are not, you know, who are going to stay here and he's going to take us out. And it's a great thing. When we see that these things come into pass, we know the Lord's about to come back. And so he tells us here in verse number um, 31, the sun shall be turned into darkness. We noticed we've seen that uh, very clearly in Exodus chapter 19. The moon turned into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. That's how you're saved, isn't it? And uh, belief in him. And for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. And the Lord hath said, as the Lord hath said, uh, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So this great day of the Lord is going to scare people to death just as it did when uh, this was going on at Sinai. And again, it's not, a, I'm not saying that everything that happened at Sinai is, is an exact you know, picture of what's going to happen, but it's, it's a close. It's, it's used as an illustration for us in this way. If you're still in Revelation 6, I want you to see their reaction. Their reaction to this. When they see this, the world sees it. Their reaction and our reaction, this is one I didn't print out, so give me one second here. Get my small print Bible. And so if you'll notice there, it says, uh, you know, the um, verse number 13, the stars of heaven fell unto the earth as even as fig, a tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, that's the shaking uh, of the, the heavens also. And every mountain and island were moved out of the place. That's the shaking of the earth. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks and the mountains and said to the mountains, so they've, they've gone, they've went and hid, they've gone into their, their bunkers and their uh, you know, silos and all of these government places and all this. And notice this, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, who shall be able to stand? So the world sees this as a great and terrible day of the Lord. They even realize that this is the Lord that has come. All of this, and, and you know, the amazing thing is, is that they, you know, many of them still they reject and hate God and just just double down on that. And so this is a terrible sight, amazing sight. Uh, turn over to Luke chapter number twenty-one. So this day of the Lord is going to scare people to death, just like when you know when God did what He did on Sinai. It's going to scare them to death, and they're going to, they may say, "Man, just bring the mountains down on us, save us from this the wrath of the Lamb." In Hebrews 12, verse 19, the Bible talks about this. and He says, "...in the sound of the trumpet and the sound of, the, of words, which voice they heard, entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Please stop speaking! And they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. And so that's another parallel 
was that there was just, you know, men's hearts failing them for fear. And so look at Luke 21, verse number 25. He says, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon. This is the parallel passage to Matthew 24. He says, and in the, in the moon and the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity and the sea waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. For the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When you hear that word power, what does that mean? What's it going to be like to see the Lord coming in power and great glory? I mean, did He come on top of Mount Sinai with power? Lightning, thunders, I mean, you know, a giant cloud, all of this stuff. I mean, the, and then they had them blow the trumpets and there was voices and all of this stuff. What's it going to be like when the Lord comes back? I mean, this is going to be a scary thing. But, you know, we as, uh, you know, people who understand the scriptures a little bit more than some of the others, you know, maybe they understand it and don't want to believe it. But understanding the post-trib idea here, this is really a blessing to us because we get to, we're, we need to know this. This is important. This is why the, why teaching on the post-trib, I, people say all the time, it's not that big of a deal. If you go before I do or you go a little after I do, it's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal. Because when the stars are, in the, you know, the sun and moon are getting dark and all of the Lord's coming in great power and glory, this is going to be a shock to a few people. And there's going to be shocks before that in the tribulation with the Antichrist rising to power and so on. But anyway, you see here, when he comes with power and great glory, this is going to be a sight to behold. And so the voice itself is going to be a terror to those who not, do not believe. It's not going to terrorize us. I mean, I think this is going to be a moment. We've been terrorized. We're going to have been terrorized at this point by the Antichrist and by the world system for three and a half years at this point. And this is going to be a relief to us. That's why he tells us in over in Luke chapter 21. Let's flip over there. Luke chapter 21. Notice this. Uh, we were just there, but let's look at Luke 21 verse 25. And there shall be signs of the sun and moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations and perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring, men's heart failing them for fear and for looking upon those things which are coming upon the earth and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. So men's hearts are failing. Notice this. And then shall they see the son of man coming in power in in a cloud and with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your head. For your redemption draweth nigh. Now, when I was a kid, man, one of my favorite songs, what is the name of that song where they sing, it goes up high, and your redemption draweth nigh. And man, it's awesome when they sing that with the choir behind them and all of that. Well, that's exactly what this is talking about, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's everybody's hearts are failing them, but he says when you start seeing these things, don't go hide in the rocks. You know, Don't be afraid. I mean, look up. I mean, your redemption... Draw nigh. The Lord is coming with power and great glory. And He's not coming. See, we are not appointed unto wrath, the Bible says. This is, the wrath of the Lamb has come, but it's not upon those who've been forgiven, who've been blood washed, who's had all their sins taken as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says there is no, no condemnation. Therefore, uh, no condemnation. We are not under the condemnation, the damnation, the wrath of God, however you want to say it. So when these things in heaven and earth begin to shake and look bad, we know that we're a part of the, this kingdom. We are not. We have not come to Sinai. Those who are at Sinai, 
I mean, they better be careful. I mean, this, you know, that's that's that earthly Jerusalem. That's that Jerusalem that's in bondage. That's in, you know, there with they're trying to get into heaven with work salvation and all that. They better be afraid, because you know what does it tell us in Hebrews chapter twelve? Look at it, Hebrews chapter twelve. Let's go back there and finish out this chapter. Hebrews chapter twelve. He says in verse twenty six. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but uh, also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things which are shaken, as things of things that are made, those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Notice this. For our God is a consuming fire. Now jump back to verse number 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not, remember they cried out. You know, Silence the voice, we can't bear it. He says, if they escape not, who refused him that spake on the earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn from him that speaketh from heaven. You know, there's a whole group of people out there that have turned from him that speaketh from heaven. I mean, they don't believe in him. They don't want anything to do with him. I mean, what kind of judgment is that going to be? They are going to be afraid. They are going to be afraid. And so I'll just say this. This voice is a voice that's going to shake the earth and it's going to be a terror to them. It's the terrible day of the Lord. But to us, it is a voice of deliverance. It's our Savior, our Deliverer coming out of Zion. And I'll tell you what, let me just have you look back at chapter 12 again in verse number 24. Just give you a last point here to, to, to tie this together. Notice in verse 24, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. I've been thinking about that a little bit. When Jesus, we are, you know, let me just make this point here, that Christ, His voice is speaking you know, he says his voice is going to shake the earth again. But the Bible tells people not to refuse that voice. I mean, he's going to shake the earth. And the Bible says they that call upon his name will be saved and delivered and so on. That's exactly what's happening now. When Jesus left, he left us behind. And when he comes again, it shakes, his voice shakes the earth. I mean, that's it. But right now, you know who the voice is? How shall they hear without a preacher? He said, I beseech you as ambassadors for Christ. Coming up on a great day, a mega marathon. I mean, we, we need to consider this. This is important. We're going out and preaching this message. Listen, there is a great, terrible day of the Lord coming. Look, I mean, if you die and you go to, you know, if you die without Jesus, you go to hell and, or spend an eternity in hell, you know, but if you, you know, if you, there's also a day of wrath upon this earth. It's going to be terrible. I mean, if, you know, it's going to be hell on earth. That's a great thing we can preach to people and say, look, you want to believe in Jesus. We are Jesus' voice today. He spoke on Zion. Jesus, and by the way, notice what he says here. I think it's interesting. Verse 25, he says, Jesus, the mediator of the new, of the new covenant and of the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. What is Abel's, you know, what does Abel's blood speak of? I mean, it's vengeance. Upon a, a murder, I mean, someone who has done a terrible thing. His his blood cried out from the ground. 
But you know who, what Jesus' blood did? When, it, when, he, when he died on the cross and his blood ran, it speaks of forgiveness for the whole world. All the sins of the world were upon him. Better things. Better things. Jesus' voice is speaking to everyone through soul winners today. His Holy Spirit is drawing people, but He needs some soul winners. I mean, that's how God has chosen to get people saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that, that, that's, that God has given to everyone that believeth someone, a soul winner, basically. He says He's given to everyone, someone, to, to preach to them. How shall they hear without a preacher? This is such an important thing. Christ speaks to the lost. He's going to speak again. And friends and family, they're not going to to listen. They're going to be terrorized. They're going to go to hell and spend an eternity in hell under the wrath of God. We need to get out there and try to get people saved. This, this, This is not... Our God is a consuming fire. It's not a game. So anyway, I just wanted to give you that thought of soul winning at the end there. And I hope this is an encouragement Listen, the end times are scary to a lot of people. You talk, start talking Revelation and people start trembling and, and fear and all that. But no, sir, it's not. What we're supposed to be is bold. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. If you'll get filled with the Spirit and get to work for Jesus, it's, it, it may be hard times coming, but it's going to be, it's going to be days, many days of rejoicing. God will give you the power and the strength to get through it. Whatever God brings into our life. Let me have a word of prayer and we'll close out the sermon here. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you bless us as we go. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for this pastor. I pray, Lord, for the people as, Lord, the days in this earth, may, Lord, before the tribulation period even begins, may become difficult. Lord, tribulation and things like that. But I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful unto death even. Lord, and I pray that we would have many rewards, even a crown of life, Lord, in heaven for the work that we do, this church does. Lord, I pray that you would bless abundantly. Lord, fill them with your spirit. Lord, continue to work through uh, these soul winners here, God. I pray that you would send forth many more laborers into this, Lord, this needy area of the world. God bless this church. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.